if he's watching, um, for trusting me to speak on, on Father's Day. That's kind of a, you gotta be careful with that one. You never know what, what you're gonna get, I guess. But, uh, but I do give honor to Pastor and I, I wanna give honor to all of our fathers, stepfathers, father figures that are here with us today. We honor you. We thank you. Uh, give them a round of applause. I know we've honored them a little bit already, but we're so thankful for our fathers and our father figures. Um, Father's Day, it, it sometimes it can fall on the back burner. I, I think I heard one time it's the 20th something ranked most celebrated holiday um, in America. For reference, Mother's Day, I think, is number three. Um, so a bit of a discrepancy there. Uh, and whether that's because of uh, lack of strong father figures, whether that's because of bitterness, whether um, it might just be the fact that some fathers, they move around as unsung heroes um, in the lives of so many. But today we do give honor uh, to all of our fathers and father figures uh, who are with us today. And uh, the, the dad jokes, uh, they got me thinking a little bit. I, I didn't plan on telling any dad jokes, but... Um, I, I was reminded of a joke that my dad, uh, he used to use all the time. And if you don't know my dad, my dad is, uh, he has a very dry sense of humor. Typically, he's the only one that thinks he is funny. And nobody, like most dads do, he's the only one, but he thinks it's hilarious. And that's all that matters. But there's a joke that he used to tell all the time. Um, he would he'd say, why did Sally fall off the swing? Does anybody know? She didn't have any arms. <laughs> And then he would say, knock, knock, not Sally. <laughs> if you didn't get it, you'll get it about like halfway through, halfway through the sermon. But we do, we honor our fathers. Um, while many of them, they, they probably don't desire uh, the flowers, they don't desire uh, the fancy brunches and all the things that uh, our mothers receive and that they will deserve, right? We're, we're thankful for our mothers. Uh, but it is my hope today that each father here today uh, that they're celebrated, um, and each son and daughter that is here today, that you honor uh, those positive male figures in your life. We live in a culture that uh, wants to, or is attacking manhood, is attacking fatherhood, um, and I think it's only fitting that the church recognizes and commends godly men today. Amen? I also do, I want to I honor my dad um, He's here today. He was my pastor for uh, most of my life, and he's been my dad for the other part of my life. <laughs> so uh, uh, I am. I'm, I'm glad that he's here. Um, we've been able to hang out this weekend, play a little bit of golf. Hopefully, I preach a little bit better than how I've golfed this weekend. Because if not, we're we're in for a long day for for a couple bunkers, a couple uh, water hazards. Um, so we'll see if if we can get through this and. Thursday night, he came up here, and uh, we were talking, and uh, I told him, I was like, yeah, I'm preaching on Sunday, and he was like, oh, that's cool, and he made a comment about, like, oh, you know, hopefully we get out of service early, and I was like, well, you know, like, I, I typically, I try to stay between 20 to 25 minutes, unless it's, like, really, really great. I'm like, I, I think 25 minutes, that's, that's my max, and uh, he was, to my surprise, he was like, oh, yeah, he's like, I agree, that's what it should be. And I said to him, where was that when I was 13 years old, <laughs> sitting, sitting in church, hearing sometimes he would, he would, he would preach. Uh, he was an evangelist for a little bit, so sometimes you hear like the same sermons over and over and over again. 
<laughs> and he did a good job of mixing it up. He was, he was a great preacher. He was one of my favorite preachers. And, uh, um, but man, he was, he was long-winded sometimes. <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to try not to be, um, I'm, I'm going to try to keep it short um, so that, you know, we can go out to our barbecues and, and honor our fathers today. But what does it mean to be a father? I don't know, right? I'm not there yet, okay? Um, I don't have a clue. I'm not a dad. I hope to be one day, but I don't know the first thing about being a father. And when I uh, was put on the schedule to, to speak today, I, I thought to myself, what in the world? I'm like, I'm, I'm not a dad. How am I going to preach on, on Father's Day? But the more I began to, to pray, the more I began to think, uh, I came to the realization that whether we want to admit it or not, that's probably all fathers in this place at, at one point or another, right? None of us are truly prepared for the magnitude of, of this job called fatherhood uh, that we are so graciously blessed with um, in, in what is, I'm sure, a very challenging and scary road at times to travel. In Colossians, Paul calls men to be leaders of the home. And that doesn't mean that mothers can. It doesn't mean that men and women are, are not equal. But it does mean that there is a different role that a father must fulfill in his home. And, and that is, it's a, it's a scary thought um, at times. So what do we do with that pressure? As men, right, our fathers who are here, uh, future fathers, right? If you're not a father, don't just tune me out for like the next 20 minutes, I promise. Like I, it won't, it'll pertain to you a little bit as well. But what do we do with that pressure, Right, I think we turn to our handbook. Amen. What better place to receive knowledge on any subject, but especially on one with such magnitude than the Word of God. So with the help of the Lord, that's what we're going to do today. I, again, I don't plan to keep you long. I don't plan to be here um, for a super long time, but so you guys can, can go honor your fathers. But today I want to dive into uh, a little bit and look at a few biblical examples of fatherhood. So for a, few, uh, for a few short moments today, will you help me as I preach on this subject, there was a man. There was a man. Let's pray one more time. Jesus, we love you. We're so thankful, Lord, that you would allow us to be here today in your presence. God, I pray that you would bring upon a spirit of focus, Lord, that there would be an anointing that would flow through this place, God, that we would hear and that we would receive your word, oh God, that we would be challenged by the word and that we would be uplifted by the word. And we ask these things in your mighty and precious name, in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. All right. Um, so from the very beginning of creation, fatherhood and the relationship between a father and his children can be observed rather evidently. The first father that we ever come across uh, in Scripture, it's no coincidence that it's none other than the first man that ever lives, a man by the name of Adam, the first father. And our fathers who are here today, how many of you remember that day or you remember that moment when you first learned that you were going to be a dad? Anybody, you like remember exactly where you were, you remember that moment, there's a few hands, um, Maybe, maybe whenever the kid was born. Hopefully we remember that. Do we remember when the child was born? You brought him home. Um, hopefully that was, was a big moment for you. Um, but most, most men, I would say, probably very vividly remember uh, the day that you first laid eyes on your son or on your daughter. And that's, again, a, a love that I can only imagine 
uh, at this point, and, and the excitement that one might feel, uh, I'm sure, is rather great, but I also can't begin to understand the immense pressure or the immense stress or, or even fear, perhaps, that a man would feel as they hold their child for the very first time. And it all sinks in that you are, in fact, a parent. I'm sure that no amount of preparation, no amount of study, no amount of research can adequately prepare one for the moment that a man becomes a dad. And vice versa for our mothers, uh, our mothers as well. But imagine that feeling then magnified as you are the first man to ever walk the face of the earth. The first person in all of human history to hold the title of dad. There was no blueprint on how to be a dad. There was no uh, book that you could pick up at the bookstore uh, on how to care for a child. There was no class on how to provide for a child and to allow them to grow up to become strong men and women. And on top of all this, Adam would be charged to care for the garden that the Lord had created. Our first passage of scripture today, Genesis chapter 2, if you're following along. Chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, it says, Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. In verse 15, dropping down a few passages there, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. So a chapter earlier... Uh, most people, I would say, have probably read Genesis like 1 through probably 20. That's like the beginning of the year where your New Year's resolution is to read through the whole Bible. And we all, like, we're experts on Genesis because every year we make it to, like, Genesis 17. And then, you know, it kind of, just me. Okay. Um, again, y'all got to help me. There's, there's got to be, it's got to be some give and take. Otherwise, we're going to be up here a while. Um, but a chapter earlier... In, in chapter, uh, in the chapter previously, we see all that God has created, right? We see him, he creates the heavens, the earth, uh, the seas, the plants, the trees, sun, moon, living creatures, etc., all of that stuff. But before this is all done, we see that uh, the land here in verse 5, that no shrub and no tree had yet appeared. And that was for, for two reasons. One, it hadn't rained yet, and it won't rain for a while, actually. But when it does, it's going to rain for a very long time. Uh, but the second reason, because there was nobody to work the ground. Before God finished the work that he had begun, he wanted a man to care for that work. Not because God needed it, but because he was gracious enough to allow a man to be involved in what he was doing. And then in verse 8, we see that God planted a garden in the east, and he made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. And there he placed this man, Adam, to be a part of what God was doing. So while God does, does not need us to perform his perfect work, God from the very beginning has desired his children to be a part of what he is trying to do on this earth and through his creation. And out of the dust and with his breath, God created this man to work the land and made this dust a living being. And there is significance in that, that word dust, 
that word dirt. And I think within this, we find our first lesson on fatherhood in Scripture. When the Bible uses dust in a figurative or symbolic sense, it means something of very little worth. Something that is associated with lowliness and humility. And in a biblical sense, sometimes dirt is next to nothing. But what happens to the dust? God breathes his breath of life, and man becomes a living being in the image of God. The Hebrew word uh, for breath is ruach, is how English people would pronounce it, but it's pronounced rah. And it is meant to mimic the very sound of breath. But this word ra is also the same word in Hebrew, not just used for breath, but it is used for the word spirit. So when God created Adam, he created mankind with his breath. He created mankind with his spirit within him. And I believe that there's someone here in this place today that maybe you don't feel anymore like a mound of dirt, that you don't value yourself, you value yourself next to nothing, maybe even at times a little insignificant. Maybe there's a father in this place today that things that they don't seem to be clicking. Maybe you just can't stop butting heads with your kids. Maybe you just can't catch a break at work. Maybe you feel as no matter what you do, you can't seem to figure it out. See, mankind from the very beginning without God was nothing but a mound of dirt. But when God steps into a situation, when God breathes his spirit, his breath of life into your lungs, that you can do more than you could ever imagine or dream possible. And that's why it's so important that we're filled with the spirit. Last time I spoke, I I talked about uh, the fruit of the Spirit, right? But not that we're just filled with the Spirit that one time and then that's it and then we're done, but know that we daily abide in the Spirit because without Him, I am nothing more than dust. Godly fathers must be full of His Spirit. Not much farther down the road of Scripture, we see the fall of Adam, we see the fall of mankind, and, and Eve, typically, she gets a bad rap here. But I think it's important to note that Adam and Eve were not cursed. They were not removed from the Garden of Eden solely because of Eve. Genesis 3 and 17, uh, it says to Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you shouldn't eat from it. This is not an excuse to not listen to your wife. Okay, don't read that and be like, Caleb said, I don't have to listen to you if you... If I do that, bad things are going to happen, right? This isn't an excuse to not listen to her, but Adam, rather than taking responsibility for his mistake, for his eating of the fruit, what does he do? He tries to pawn it off on another person. Nothing happens in this story, at least according to my Bible, nothing happens until Adam ate the fruit himself, right? The eyes of Adam and Eve were not open to their sin until Adam compromised on what the Lord had already very clearly spoken to him. Men, we're called to be leaders in our home, and this is, this is not meant to be an inequality in the home. This doesn't mean that you can just steamroll through everything and say, I'm the man, what I say, go. But God has ordained a role in us men that we must lead by example. If you go back If you go back and you look in chapter 2, God tells who to not eat from the forbidden tree. Any guesses? 
He tells Adam. He doesn't say anything to Eve about not eating from the tree. He tells Adam not to eat from the tree. And I do. I believe that if Adam would have acted in love in that moment, if he would have acted a different way when Eve offered him the fruit, if he would have said, honey, no, that's, we're not supposed to do that. I think this story looks a little bit different. A man, a father, takes accountability. He does not pawn off his wrongdoing on another, but rather he comes with an honest and repentant heart. Adam does. He goes on to have sons, uh, the first ever, again, to have children. And again, with no blueprint, his wife gave birth to Cain and Abel, who we heard about earlier in the dad jokes, um, and Seth and many others. And Adam would be the first father to understand what it's like to lose a child. He would go on to be the first father to be heartbroken by the mistakes of his children. The first father to deal with tragedy in his own life. Adam teaches us today about the necessity of following and obeying the word of God. God is looking for fathers. He's looking for Christians today who choose to obey him, to submit to the love that he has to offer. He's looking for men, for fathers, for Christians with integrity to live in the knowledge that nothing is hidden from God's sight. And Adam teaches us that godly fathers take responsibility for their failures and shortcomings and take responsibility, more importantly, for the spiritual well-being of their families. A little later on in Genesis, we, we move forward a couple chapters again within that first couple weeks of us doing really good of reading the Bible at the beginning of the year. There is a man named Noah. The second godly example of a father that we find in Scripture. In the midst of a dying world, a faithful father, what does he do? He saves his family and he gives humanity a second chance. Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 5, it says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he made human beings on the earth. And his heart was deeply troubled, so the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals and the birds and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. But the next verse, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Sham, Ham, and Japheth. Now, when we think of Noah, we typically, we, we think of the boat, right? The guy, he, he built the big boat. We think of the one that, the guy, he's on, the, on all the uh, nursery walls. We have all the little animals walking up, uh, up to the ark, going two by two, and restarting the human race following the flood. But what we often fail to acknowledge was his ability to be a father, See, the building of the ark was probably, if not the most remarkable feat uh, in history up until that time. Given the dimensions of the ark, given the tools that he had available, and the knowledge of that time period, the completion of this ark was a pretty remarkable feat. But this feat pales in comparison to his ability to maintain his family's faith. In an age of wickedness, in an age of evil thinking, Noah kept the course. And Noah proved that in the midst of the worst of times, a man can raise up a godly family. In an age of corruption, in an age of violence, in an age of confusion, the faith of one singular man can further the work that God has in store 
for his people. But how? Right? In our current days, we're obviously we're not quite that bad yet. Um, but there, there's no sugarcoating it, right? We live in, in a dark and dying world. We live in a world where left means right, right means left. Uh, in a world where the lines of right and wrong have been uh, continually blurred and where truth has simply become subjective. In a world where children and teenagers are constantly comparing themselves with what they see on the screen in front of them, being filled with lies from the enemy that they are not good enough the way that God created them. I don't think it's an accident that the devil himself, he's the author of confusion. It's no uh, coincidence that confusion runs so rampant in our culture today, all across the globe. So with this, how does one walk faithfully with God? The answer is by a close, daily, and intimate relationship with God. Hebrews 11 and 7, by faith Noah, when warned about the things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in the keeping with faith. Right? And and, and things are rough right now. there's There's no sugarcoating that. But in a time where the creator himself wished he had never even created mankind, when he wanted to wipe them completely off the face of the earth, when he regretted breathing that breath of life into Adam, there was a man named Noah who walked with God, who was faithful to God in the midst of circumstances, in the midst of trial, in the midst of a sinful world. And this wasn't an easy thing. This wasn't like he went to church every Sunday and everything was fine. For 120 years, Noah worked and it didn't rain. Not a drop. For 120 years, he waited to see what God had spoken to him come to pass. Noah taught his children to work. Not just by talking the talk, but by walking the walk. By day in and day out saying, no, I know it hasn't rained yet. I know we look foolish. I know we look stupid. But we are going to continue to be faithful. Because God's word is true. And because of his righteousness, because of his faithfulness, Noah's family, they're spared. His family would be saved. And from his own lineage would come the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, to be born as a man. God promises to bless and to protect those who faithfully follow and obey him. Noah teaches us that obedience, that trusting in the Lord isn't always going to be a sprint. Right? Sometimes it's going to be a marathon. Sometimes it's a lifetime of devotion. But in spite of wickedness all around him, Noah clung to his relationship with God. Was he perfect? No. All right, we could go a few chapters later and, and see how not perfect he was. But throughout his mistakes, in spite of his pitfalls, he remained faithful. The next father I think that, that we often think of pretty often, at least me, is, is none other than Father Abraham. Right? Does anybody else remember the song in Sunday school? Father Abraham had many sons. Did you guys hear it like in your Sunday school class? Did you do like the motions where you're like, right, or I'm, I never understood that. Now that I'm older, I'm like, oh, it was just to make the kids tired. So like during second service, they wouldn't be. But the, the motions don't mean anything. You're just talking about a dad and you're, you're doing this. But I don't get it. But anyways, Abraham, what does he do? He teaches us the importance of patience. 
that difficult, difficult word, patience. Again, was Abraham perfect? No. But God still honored him and used him. Right? God still rescues and supports us through our foolish mistakes. Amen? Now imagine the weight of being the father of an entire nation. Right? Who has the most children in here? Just out of curiosity. Like what's the, what's the total? Is there anybody that has more than six kids? Okay, so Zach. <laughs> Zach, we need to have a conversation <laughs> after church. But imagine, okay, caring for six kids, that would be a lot of kids. Imagine knowing you're going to be the father of nations, right? That's, that's kind of a lot to have on your shoulders there. Genesis 17, 6 and 8, it says, I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. So after the initial shock, after uh, the humor that Abraham and his wife Sarah kind of find in all of this, um, imagine the patience that Abraham and Sarah had to have uh, in this circumstance until finally at 100 years old, 25 years after the promise God has given him, his wife, Sarah, would give birth to a child, and they would name him Isaac. Much like we see with Noah, God's plans are sometimes revealed over a lifetime of obedience. They both teach us that a godly father is patient, even when it's difficult. Even when it seems like a lifetime of waiting, a father who walks with God is faithful above all else. They're faithful in their devotion. They're faithful to the house of God. They're faithful in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Faithfulness, even when God's plan doesn't seem to align with what we have planned for our own lives. Genesis 22, verses 1 through 3 says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Verse 3 says, Early the next morning, Abraham got up, he loaded his donkey, and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. Again, I'm, I'm not quite a dad yet. I hope and pray to be one day, but not yet. But I can only imagine the love that one feels towards their own flesh and blood. And that's what creates such a significant circumstance here for Abraham that we find in chapter 22. Because if it was me in that situation, verse 3 would read very differently. But no, verse 2, it goes straight from God saying, go sacrifice your son between two and three. I don't know if there was more dialogue there that just wasn't written, but there's, there is no bartering. There is no, there's no discussion. There is Abraham got up and he went. Abraham's most prized possession, the thing that he cared about most in the entire world, God asked him to give it up. And there was no argument, not to say that you you know, we probably would. I just said, I, if somebody was like, even my dog, and that's probably kind of goofy, but if somebody was like, oh, sacrifice Hank, I'd be like, did I hear that right? 
need like confirmation. I'd put a fleece out and be like, all right, God, if you really want him to. But anyways. <laughs> right, but his, his most prized possession, he doesn't, he doesn't hesitate. And I'm sure Abraham, he had hopes and dreams for his son's future. Things he wanted to see him accomplish. Things he believed God had ordained for his life. But Abraham was faithful to the Lord. Parents, the goals that we have in mind for our children do not trump the will of our Heavenly Father. The dreams that our children have, whether it be career, whether it be education, whether it be athletics, do not outweigh the plan that God has for them. And, I, and I'm not preaching against any of those things. I have an education, right? It's, it's a good thing. Um, I, I used to be an athlete. I'm not much of one anymore. Um, I, I have a career. We should all have a career. Amen, right? Men, we should, we should have a career. Um, but it doesn't outweigh what God has for them. I remember growing up, um, I, I played on, on a couple travel teams. We didn't do a lot because it was just, it was a lot and it's expensive. Um, but I remember there was one travel team we played on. Uh, I finally convinced mom and dad. I was like, I'm going to play travel ball. And I was super excited because that was like the best of the best, right? That's where people go if you want to go to college. It's not true, but that's how it's marketed. But anyways, uh, I play, I'm playing on this travel team. And the tournaments, the way that they were set up, it was during the summer. It would be a Friday. It would be a Saturday. And then it was championship game on Sunday. And I remember growing up on Saturdays, we would make it to the semifinal, or we would make it to the championship game, and it was on Sunday, and I couldn't go to the game, and it would infuriate me, a little 13-year-old Caleb, I would just, like, complain and, and whine and be like, please, like, just one time, like, it's just one service, right, I'm going to be there, but no, I had godly parents, and they said, nah, uh we're going to be in the house of God. I know you have goals. I know you have a dream. And again, I'm not preaching against any of those things, right? I think they're very good. I think they teach us a lot of life lessons. But there has to be those in our lives who are going to say, we're going to go to the house of the Lord. This is what is important. God's plan is not outweighed by your desire for your future. And Abraham recognized that what God asked of us is too important to ignore. And I can't begin to comprehend the pain that Abraham felt each step as he walked closer and closer to their destination. I can't begin to comprehend the turning in his stomach as he told his servants to stay behind as him and God's promise, what God had promised to him, began to walk up to that mountaintop. I cannot begin to understand the tears that began to well up in Abraham's eyes when his promise, his promised son began to ask him, Dad, we have everything we need, but where, where's the sacrifice? Where's this at? And how it must have felt for him to speak in faith to his son, telling him that the Lord would provide. Abraham, he gives fathers, he gives all believers a perfect glimpse of what blind faith looks like. When we don't understand what God is asking of us, when we don't understand why our plan doesn't seem to align with God's plan for our lives. But yet God honored his faithfulness. God honored his willingness to lay aside all that was important to him. To follow after him. Right? Him, Abraham, following after him. His purpose. And God provided that ram in a thicket. He spared Isaac in honor of their faithfulness. And God's promise remained as Abraham would become the father of many nations.
musicians, you can begin to come and start playing some soft music. So I'll start, or I'll stop talking. That'll be my, my cue. Like at award shows, when they start playing the music, it's like, okay, like time to hurry up. But I want to look at one more man. There was a man named Joseph. Joseph would be the earthly father of a man who came from the lineage of the three fathers we've spoken of already today. He would be given the impossible task of being asked to raise and care for a child that would be the Messiah, that would be the Savior of the world, that would be God with us. And you see, we don't dive much into the life of Joseph because there really isn't that much. In fact, there are no words of Joseph even transcribed in the Bible. While the son born of his wife, Mary, would be perfect, he would be blameless, he would save humanity from our sins, he still needed a dad. Joseph taught him how to be a carpenter. He taught him how to work. And one's imagination can run wild with the lessons that they taught one another. One can only imagine the love that Jesus had for his earthly father. One can only imagine the love that Joseph had for his son. You see, Joseph was a true servant, as all fathers should be. Completely unqualified for the job that was given to him. To help care and provide for the Savior of the world. He even lost him one time. You ever read that part of the Bible? He leaves him behind. It's pretty scary to leave behind the Savior of humanity. But what does he do? He does it with love. He raises him with humility. Stand with me all across this place. Many lessons we can learn from these men. We can learn from these fathers. But I want to turn to Isaiah 64, verse 8. Yet you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. First John 3 and 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. The perfect role model. The perfect father figure. And a man named Jesus. The perfect example our heavenly father he saw the mistakes of humanity he saw that man could not do it alone so what did he do he robed himself in flesh he lowered himself and humbled himself as a man and gave himself as the sacrificial lamb so that we might be set free he is loving he is just waiting for us just as the father of the prodigal waiting with arms wide open for us to draw near to him, willing to lead us through the midst of any trial and any circumstance. A couple weeks back, um, Lennox, he joined me and Hector for the day, and um, Lennox gave me like five wet willies, but that's besides the point. But I watched Lennox and his dad interact with each other, and we were, the house we were at, uh, the shingles were being torn off the roof, so there's nails everywhere. There's stuff flying off the roof. And I watched as Hector, he turned around, he told Lennox, and he says, Lennox, walk where I walk. Step where I step. And I watched as that young man, when his dad stepped right, Lennox stepped right behind him. And when his dad stepped left, 
he stepped right behind him. And I couldn't help but be reminded of the faith of a child. When our Heavenly Father, he's just saying, just walk where I walk. Just walk with me. Yes, there might be debris. There might be trials. There might be tribulations. There might be bad things that are going to happen. But if you just follow after me, if you just walk as I walk, you're going to be okay. Whether you and your earthly dad are best friends, whether you've never met your father in your life, we have a heavenly father who loves you so, so much that he bled and he died for you. He came down and he nailed, it was nailed to a cross for you. He gave his life so that you might be set free. The perfect example of a father as he is love. He's patient. He's kind. He isn't proud. He doesn't boast. He doesn't beat you down when you've fallen, but he is lovingly and graciously calling you and leading you. We just have to be willing to follow after him. These altars are open today. As Jesus is calling you, yes, the struggles will come. No, you might not always be a perfect father. No, you might not always be a perfect Christian. But I'm going to get back up. I'm going to brush myself off. And I'm going to follow after the father. As I push towards the mark, as I strive to be the father that I am called to be, as I strive to be the Christian, the man, the woman that I am called to be.